Today on Broadway for Tuesday, April 14th, 2020, I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I'm here all by myself today because we've got another interview lined up for you in the back half of this episode. Mr. James Marino recently sat down to talk to Mr. Keith Sherman of Keith Sherman and Associates, one of theater's top PR firms. Again, we have a ton of interviews coming up, especially when there's not a ton of news, which at this point, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing kind of subscribing to the no news is good news notion at the moment, but be sure to tune into those upcoming interviews. Before we get into the news, if you are willing, able, and so inclined to do so, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash Patreon to support us. It is, of course, a very difficult time, and your support means the world to all of us here at Broadway Radio. With it, we are able to continue bringing you the news and exclusive interviews until whenever we're back to, you know, hopefully not normal, hopefully better days. The top story from yesterday came as a bit of a surprise, as we initially reported on Monday the one-night-only benefit, celebrating 25 ma- magical years of Disney on Broadway, which was originally going to be streamed to raise money for the Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund, had been canceled due to a labor dispute with the American Federation of Musicians. However, the show will now go on as the Federation has agreed to waive fees for the streaming of last November's show. International president of AFM Ray Hare released a statement reversing his early decision to withhold streaming rights after the actual musicians who performed in the concert and the head of the union's local 802 signed a petition urging Hare to join other theatrical unions and allow the show to proceed. Says Hare, quote, we stand in solidarity with our fellow ent- entertainment workers and actors' equity and SAG-AFTRA. We believe all musicians should be fairly compensated for the work all- for their work all the time. But we also believe that we must do everything possible to support entertainment workers hurt by the coronavirus pandemic. We fully support the union musicians who have graciously offered to forego all required payments to allow this charity event to move forward. Now, the performance was originally supposed to be streamed on Monday night at 7 p.m. That obviously did not happen, but thankfully the stream has been rescheduled for Friday, April 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Really glad to see this actually taking place after all and to see this initially disappointing decision reversed. On to a few other notable news items from the day, starting with some sad news that we've, you know, unfortunately come to expect at this point. On Monday, BAM became the most recent organization to announce season-wide cancellations. All theater, dance, music, and visual arts programming and events at the arts venue will be canceled through June 30th, including the annual BAM Cinema Fest and the long-running Dance Africa Festival. The programming cancellation means the venue will take an estimated loss of $7.4 million in ticket revenue through June 30th, which, according to BAM President Katie Clark, will unfortunately mean yet another organization that will be faced with program reductions, layoffs, and reduced pay as the shutdown continues. On to better news, though. Coming up this Thursday, April 16th, the winners of the 2020 New York Drama Critics Circle Awards will be announced. The selections, which will mark the start of this year's theater awards season, however that will end up looking, will be made at the organization's 85th annual voting meeting. The awards will then be presented during a virtual ceremony on Tuesday, April 28th at 8 p.m. 
Coming up today, though, at noon Eastern time, Jeremy Jordan and Ashley Spencer will announce the nominees for the 35th annual Lucille Lortel Awards. As previously announced, the awards, which honor Outstanding Achievement Off-Broadway, will be presented as an online event on Sunday, May 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern. As always, the ceremony will be a benefit for the Actors Fund, and this year, viewers will be able to make donations during the broadcast. A few things to check out, both current and upcoming, as well as some feel-good recommendations we all need. Yesterday, Page Six reported that the cast of That Thing You Do will reunite to honor songwriter Adam Schleisinger, who who passed away recently from coronavirus complications earlier this month, and to raise funds for COVID-19 relief efforts. Tom Everett Scott, Jonathan Seish, Steve Zahn, Ethan Ember, and Liv Tyler will gather virtually to share memories of the film. Fans will be able to join the live stream on YouTube this coming Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Also yesterday at The Hollywood Reporter, Broadway's own Danny Burstein penned a guest column about his harrowing experience with COVID-19, apparently encouraged to do so by Sarah Rule. It's a difficult read, but includes some much-needed insight and silver linings from Danny and is just beautifully written. We all just adore Danny Burstein. It's so good to see him at home recovering with Rebecca and his family, being able to share his words. So definitely check that one out. And also in the rare good medical news category these days, yesterday, Mandy Gonzalez took to Twitter to share that she has finished her final chemo treatment after revealing back in January that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. The Hamilton star wrote a heartfelt message expressing gratitude and thanking her family, particularly her husband, before concluding with, quote, as I ring the bell for the end of chemo, I know I am so loved and that I am not alone. For that, I am eternally grateful. Now, before we get into James' interview with Keith, I want to send you over to check out some videos and features to hopefully put a grin on your face for the day. Over at Playbill, Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty took a deep dive into everyone's favorite, Ragtime, with a track-by-track breakdown of the score. They discussed lyrical inspirations, themes, cut sequences, and of course talked about the late, great Terrence McNally. Then, <laughs> my favorite, over at the Instagram, Broadway vet Jessica Vosk and Pentatonics Scott Hoying teamed up for a song parody of what else? Netflix's Tiger King playing Nemesis, Joe Exotic, and Carol Baskin. Just pitch perfect, wardrobe perfect. Potentially the greatest love song of 2020? You'll have to let me know. We've included the link to everything, including those recommendations in today's show notes. Our last recommendation, of course, is the second half of this episode with Mr. Marino and Mr. Sherman. So please enjoy that. As always, have a great Tuesday. Stay safe. Take care of each other and yourself. Give to your local food banks and wash those damn hands. With us today, we have a very special guest. Keith Sherman is joining us uh, by telephone. Um, Broadway fans will know that Keith is a press rep and runs Keith Sherman and Associates. Uh, been running it for coming up on or just past 30 years, right, Keith? It's shocking. It feels like the blink of an eye. But yes, Boxing Day of uh, last December 
represented the day that I began my office, my PR firm. Wow, 30 years. And as I count, about 20 or so Broadway shows and hundreds of off-Broadway shows, and plus you've represented people in the Olympics, and you've represented the New York Times. So, my goodness, uh, a lot of of work here, and, and you've experienced a lot of different things, but not quite what we're going through now. Have you ever experienced something like this before? I don't think anyone in the world ever has experienced anything quite like this. I mean, the, the last horrific episode in our society, I suppose, could be considered 9-11. Mm-hmm. Although we had hurricanes and, and blackouts and, you know, other horrible storms. Uh, you know, decades ago, the AIDS crisis decimated so much of our world. Uh, but this... I mean, the the world basically is shut down. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. It's everyone. And so you've been running your office for 30 years. You have a four-person office uh, and supporting multiple different artistic endeavors uh, for many, many years. What's it been like for you and your your close-knit family of coworkers? I've been really blessed. So in business for all that time, we are a staff of four. One, one fellow is with me for 19 years, another uh, for 18, and another for 11. So uh, a tight-knit family, work family indeed. Um, I've got, you know, everything is just, it's crazy right now. None of our shows, none of our projects are active. I've had to furlough my staff, which is something I didn't want to do, but, you know, there's no money coming in right now. And um, I've even had to dip into personal savings to cover some of the bills and expenses because uh, you don't get through three decades and and not feel like there's some kind of a survivor. Uh, That's what I plan to do is to come back when the world comes back. I want to open my firm up take a look and see what clients we still have standing, what more we might be able to engage with and, and carry on in our, in our new world. So um, tell, you know, talk to the listeners about, describe what a, a general press rep does. I mean, I, I think I know, but uh, what is it, what is it, what does it mean when you see on the title page of, of be more chill general press rep, uh, Keith well, Sherman and that's Associates. That's a great question. So oftentimes, um, as it relates to the theater, when people ask me what I do for a living, I'm very fond of saying that I sell two hours of magic in a dark room. <laughs> Essentially, we, we and my, my, my colleagues are conduits between our, our clients and the public, hence the term public relations. The conduit is the media. And depending on the project, if we're opening a new show on or off Broadway or a tour or whatever, or we're opening a film or we're launching a new book or a a night spot, uh, there's a a set of goals. Uh, Usually it's to sell tickets. Maybe it's to sell books. If it's a television broadcast, it could be eyeballs to the screen. And it's our job to create an image for the project uh, and ultimately through the media to bring it to the attention of, of, of potential audiences. 
So we work with the, the people that create projects, the business people, and especially the artists, the actors, the performers involved, a writer, directors. Um, uh, oftentimes, you know, we function as therapists. Uh, you know, we, we work, you know, it's, it's, you know, and the way the the media has shifted over the years, it's become very much almost a 24 seven job. You know, I'm answering emails and texts right before I go to sleep. And as soon as I wake up, there's more on, on my computer, on my phone, things that I need to deal with. But I'll tell you something, Jim, I love my work. I am to the manner born. And I just have a great time, which is why I've, I've, I've lasted for as long as I have. One of the things that, from my point of view, I think possibly could be the most difficult part of your job is that um, you handle all the media requests for tickets and interviews and everything like that uh, that's related to the show. You send out invitations to all the media outlets like Broadway Radio or, or Broadway World or Playbill or the New York Times, in fact, and you schedule hundreds and hundreds of people to see the show before uh, uh, opening night or sometimes the week after opening night. Uh, and there are so many different... Um, you know, logistical problems with that. How has that system changed in the last couple of years uh, as we we gained so many more media outlets that are online and lost so many print media outlets? Uh, how has that changed on your side? Well, you know, the, the way we communicate with each other has shifted. Um, when I started working back in the 70s, I was the director of audience development for the Roundabout Theater when it was under oh, a supermarket on wow. 26th and 9th. <laughs> we used something called carbon paper. Uh, <laughs> not sure that a lot of <laughs> younger people even know what that is. But, you know, if you go back generations, it's interesting that you talk about the addition of, of, of media outlets and certainly the explosion of, of, of quantity of, of digital outlets and websites, that's very true. But in the 20s and in the early 30s, New York City had maybe two or three dozen newspapers. Can you imagine yeah. that quantity of newspapers? But television didn't exist. At the 1939 World's Fair, the very first broadcast took place. And, you know, by the end of the 40s, the, uh, there were three or four networks and the number of, of newspapers had been cut by more than half. And as the decades have progressed, more and more newspapers went out of business. If you count the Wall Street Journal, New York City is the only city in the United States with four daily newspapers. Yeah. Some cities don't even have one anymore. It's all, it's all digital. Uh, but, you know, and, and the, the concept of radio came into play, too back in the 20s, and that shifted the quantity of newspapers. And certainly now, with the whole COVID-19 crisis, it's going to be very interesting to see what magazines may not survive this, what magazines, uh, yeah. may, what newspapers may not come back. If you look at any uh, newspaper in the last month, there's no advertising. Hmm. Uh, will that bounce back? I mean, so many media outlets have been struggling to figure out digital strategies and how to make 
their digital version of their outlet work. Some have been more successful than others. But, you know, we're just standing on the precipice of such enormous change right now. And we don't know what things are going to look like when we say, well, life resumes, when things come back to whatever normal we're talking about. So after the uh, the quote-unquote shutdown of Broadway uh, in March, um, we had a very much a quiet period of people trying to figure out what 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 do we do next? And we've been seeing in the last uh, couple of weeks a lot of people uh, taking to uh, online streaming, whether it be a prepackaged event like Bandstand already that Playbill's uh, 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 running right now, or uh, Lena Hall just had a uh, release party on Broadway World. Uh, so are you seeing um, people, you know, changing the way that their PR needs are, are being for the Broadway properties uh, to keep getting out there and communicating with our audiences to keep them engaged? Absolutely. There's, there's a need to, to maintain a presence. There's a, a need to, you know, I mean, people who have had project recordings in the works for a long time, they still want to push them out there. Uh, everything is just changing the way we're doing it right now and streaming is is a great way to go about doing that. I think Saturday Night Live um, is yeah. going to have a, a, a show this week um, that will be coming from various artists' homes. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, the, the need to, to to for artists to share their work with their audiences is never going to go away because you know, I mean, if we're selling tickets, recordings, whatever, how we go about doing that and the strategies that we embrace are ever shifting. And that's where people like me, I'm a press agent, a publicist, a public relations counselor, it all kind of means the same thing. We're the conduit between our projects and the public. Uh, one of the other logistical things that you typically handle is... Um is invitations during the um, during the award season for various different organizations like the Tony Awards and Drama Desk and Outer Critic Circle to make sure that all those uh, different different voters make it, make their way in to see your shows so that they can fully evaluate them to vote on them for the thing. So you've um, you've represented um, Be More Chill and. In uh, when it was off Broadway, and it, it was a very very hot ticket in a very very small theater, and you have to handle all sorts of crazy requests to get everybody in there at, at any time without uh, maybe naming names or things like that. Have you had ex really interesting stories to come out of those type of things? Oh my God! Well, you know, so for eighteen years I represented the Tony Awards. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I did seven years on the Drama Desk Awards, and I'm in my fourth year now with the Cheetah Rivera Awards. The mm. requests come fast and furious from so many different uh, media outlets uh, here in, in New York, throughout the United States, and oftentimes globally. Uh, and yes, uh, you know, balancing all of the requests with the realities of of, of and the logistics of any program is is always a challenge. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, 
there, there's such a, a, a crazy range of things from realistic to totally unrealistic. Uh, there's a finite number of seats at, at any event. You know, oftentimes for these award shows that are broadcast, the best seat is actually in front of your monitor um, mm. where you can watch that. And in fact, you know, the Tonys right now have, you know, made it known that it will not be uh, broadcast on June the 7th, as it was originally announced. Although the OB Awards and the Drama Desk Awards are going to be shown uh, virtually. And I think, you know, it's still something of a work in progress, but I think the, the eligibility will be truncated from, you know, through mid March. Uh, Six never opened on Broadway. Yeah. The night that six was set to open was the night that was the day that the governor said, you're closed. Broadway is closed. And in fact, that show never got to open and the reviews never ran and performances never continued until such a time when things come back. So what um, I I guess we're all in a wait and see type of thing. We're all hovering around waiting to see uh, when the important things like the uh, the number of new cases subsides and we're able to get back to um, life, you know, what, do you have any uh, uh, prognostication, any prediction about when you think that uh, it, it will be back to seeing uh, a normal slate of eight shows a week? Oh, my goodness. I think it's going to happen in, in a step process. I don't think it's going to sure. start really at least until some point in the summer. But but consider this. I mean, as it relates to Broadway, the bulk of the audience for, for Broadway productions are tourists. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anyone is going to be traveling anywhere um, with any, you know, with any real you know volume in the coming months. But I think New Yorkers who are starved for, for entertainment and, and human connection will come out. But we don't know, for example, Jim, if social distancing will come into place. The, you know, the economic model for theater uh, is very, you know, we all work on tight margins. But, for example, if we need to put people six feet apart in a theater and the capacity for any show is cut by, say, a half or a third, well, what does that do to business? Yeah. Will we come back maybe not with eight a week, but what, what about if we were to do six performances a week? You know, how do we deal with, with the unions and what we've had in the past on, on issues like that? And then, of course, finding audiences. And, you know, there's just so many open questions and, and so many open points. Um, what if, for example, maybe smaller theaters came back first as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, larger theaters. But regardless of the size of the theater, if you've got to cut the audience in, you know, substantially, so there's social distancing, what does that do to business? Does it make it economically viable? You know, there's so many open questions right now. Um, and of course, timing is one of the biggest and, Nobody knows anything right now. I mean, we, we watch the news and all we hear are questions. And, and you know, right now we're in, in the depths of, of despair with so many people 
dying from 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 this. Um, it's 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 an astonishing moment in in the history of the world. You had mentioned uh, that you worked for Roundabout when Roundabout was under the supermarket. Uh, tell us a little bit more about you know what you did at Roundabout back then. Oh, that was that was an amusing time, a fun time of life. Um, I graduated college in 1977, and one of my roommates grew up in New Rochelle. His English teacher was the fellow that founded the Roundabout. Wow. So living in Jersey, I would come back home, and I would run for coffee. I'd do errands. I was basically an intern at the theater. And at one point, uh, the producer came over to me and said, Keith, when you get out of college, what are you going to do? Do you have a job? I said, I guess I'll find a job. He said, how'd you like to be our marketing director? I said, <laughs> sure. Um, so we had the theater on 26th Street, and we also had the, what is now the SVA movie theater on 23rd between 8th and 9th as our, as our mm, main stage. Yeah. And we did just some, I remember this wonderful production of Pins and Needles that we did with, with Randy Graff and, and an amazing cast that Harold Rome had created. Uh, it was the first revival of that. Um, just some great productions of Pirandello and Shaw plays. We did a lot of dance at the roundabout. And my title was Director of Audience Development. It was essentially the marketing person. And I remember I was at work for a year we owed a printer, I think, $200. The theater was broke. We had no yeah. money. It's not the success that the roundabout is today. And I remember that my, my client, the printer, was in the lobby as I approached, waiting for me. And he beat me up. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> he was this linebacker-type guy. And he said, where's my $200? And he just, the blood was pouring from my face. Uh, you know, so what I, what I did for the theater, right? And I said to myself, hmm, I think it's about time. I've been here for a year. Maybe I should find a new job. <laughs> and my, my family had a furniture store in New Jersey. So I, you know, didn't really have that many contacts. But I remember reaching out to Broadway producers and ad agencies and press agents. And a guy named Seymour Crowett, who was the press agent oh, on yeah. Gypsy and the Sound of Music and many others, needed an assistant. And my first show was Glenn Close's, um, it wasn't her debut, but it was a Sherlock Holmes thriller called The Crucifer of Blood in what was the original Helen Hayes Theater that was torn down to make way for the Marriott Marquis Hotel on 46th Street. Wow. And we had a, had a great time there. And... Um, some really wonderful and amazing experiences. I represented Radio City Music Hall for three years. Um, before I formed my company, I worked for this amazing organization called Stolters Roskin Friedman. We had 25 people in New York and L.A. I worked on the original production of 42nd Street, Big River. Uh, the office represented Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra, Michael Jackson during the thriller days. Some really amazing experiences. Uh, but my heart's always been in the theater, but I've got a broader perspective. So over the years, I've represented many different types of, of projects and individuals and artists and business people. And, you know, um, I really feel I'm truly blessed. And I know that we as a society are going to come through this. 
Here's an interesting factoid that I sort of unearthed that your listeners, I think, will appreciate. In 1609, the bubonic plague (laughs) took over the world, right? In England, Shakespeare's Globe Theater was forced to close down, and they had to cancel performances of King Lear. Now, I'm talking, this was the original production of King Lear. Yeah. You know, 400-some-odd years ago because of this global disease. I believe the Globe Theater came back. I think the playwright went on to write some other shows. And I think (laughs) the world recovered from that. So I think, you know, our society, even though we're, we're, you know, down in the depths right now, we will come back. And the, the spirit of theater people is strong, alive, and filled with great passion. And we will return soon to doing the things that we love to do. But I think it's going to be a while. Well, let's leave on that positive note. Thank you so much. Uh, Keith Sherman is a Broadway press rep. And uh, Keith Sherman and Associates, we look forward to having them back on the boards as soon as we are all through this. Keith, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. What a pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much.